Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Jerry Leth. He's the vice president and general manager at MANA. So Jerry, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. So Jerry, you're, you've been at MANA for a very long time, but you, you had a uh, manufacturer's rep business before, did you not? That's correct. Yes, I was a uh, manufacturer's rep back in the last century and then uh, been a uh, MANA executive here since uh, 2000. So uh, uh, when the century switched, I switched careers and became a, an association executive instead of an independent manufacturer's rep. Yeah. So, I mean, is that what you jumped into right out of, I think you were in mechanical engineering? Yeah. No, when I graduated from college, I went to work uh, as an assistant to the plant engineer at an instant coffee plant in San Francisco. And then I uh, stayed there for about a dozen years. I'd actually worked my way up into a position as a production manager. And then some things happened that uh, made me feel uncomfortable about staying there. And a friend of mine that I knew uh, asked me to come work for him in sales. So I started a sales career and uh, worked for him for a while, then worked for another company, then uh, uh, started my own rep business, which I did until uh, uh, came to work here at Mana uh, 23 years ago. Yeah, I mean, what what sort of um, sort of led to the decision of uh, working for Mana versus having your own rep firm? My wife and I had started a discussion when I had my rep firm, and I was a Mana member. Uh, we had started a discussion about the, one of these days uh, we ought to get serious about the, figure out when I'm going to retire and uh, where we're going to move to or whether we're going to stay here and all that stuff. And before we had that serious discussion, I got a notice from Mana they were looking for somebody. And uh, like an idiot, picked up the phone and I thought I'd do it for five or 10 years, but uh, here it is, 23 years, and uh, my health has held up very good, and I really enjoy helping people, and so I get to do that all day long, all week long when I'm working, so why not? Why not keep on doing it? Yeah, and I, I guess the, the appeal to that was just um, feel like your, your schedule may be more under control as an executive. Is that the yeah, case? Yeah, and uh, we are, uh, man, it's been around for 75 years. Mm. And up until about eight years ago, we actually had an office here in Southern California. And then we hired a new CEO from Illinois. And uh, he decided that uh, sending money to a landlord every money was not really necessary. We'd rather use the money that we're doing that to help buy more member benefits. So we terminated our lease and started working from home about eight years ago. And then, uh, which was a real blessing when COVID hit because, uh, you know, we didn't have to adapt to anything. We already were doing it. And uh, so that worked out well and uh, still working out. Absolutely. So, you know, being part of the organization for almost, I guess, you know, or two around two decades, what sort of changes have you seen in the industry? Well, you know, the technology has had a huge impact, uh, you know, back 
Uh, when I had my rep business and sales, uh, you know, it was all face to face. And uh, it was pretty much continuing that way, except that we now had a lot of different types of technology. And instead of faxing people, uh, we've got emails and texting. And now we've got things like we're on right now, Zoom meetings and uh, got social media, uh, LinkedIn, which were not around at that time. And so the uh, members that I talked to were all using those to uh, create and strengthen their relationships with customers. But you still have to have a sense of purpose. You're there to help them and not to get orders. And if the uh, customers trust you, then they buy from you. And uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the core relational stuff hasn't changed, but the way the interaction can develop in between different technologies and face-to-face has changed. Yes, and particularly the impact of COVID has been very significant. And uh, in talking to the members, it's uh, much more challenging now to uh, get a face-to-face meeting with uh, customers. And so they're adapting and coming up with other ways to use the technologies that are available to uh, maintain and strengthen the relationships and, and get new relationships going. So they are adapting and making it work. Yeah, absolutely. You know, change is a bit easier when there's no alternative. It's a necessity. You don't have a choice. You know, we utilize independent reps. Uh, We think it's great. But what are some of the things that you educate manufacturers around working with independent reps? That's a good question. When I had my rep business and first got started, I was very fortunate because the two companies that I had worked with in my previous sales position, they didn't like the guy that was running the business I was working for, and I didn't either. And so I had left, and they had parted ways, and then they heard I wasn't working there anymore. Separately, they contacted me and said, hey, Jerry, why don't you start a rep business? When the first one did it, I thought, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. And then a couple of weeks later, the second company contacted me and said the same thing. And they were not in cahoots with one another. This was purely independent thinking on each of their parts. And so I decided I'm going to go ahead and do that. And they were really good companies to work with. And I found another company that had a really great product, but I didn't interview them thoroughly enough. And what I didn't learn, and I learned from that point on that what you need to do is they did not know how to work with independent reps and they did not care to learn the right way. And so what I found out was anytime I got an order, I had to spend a lot of time on the phone arguing with them that I was the one responsible for getting the order. They finally would admit it. And then it took me forever and lots of phone calls more before they sent me the commission check. So I believe we live in an abundant world. And I said, Jerry, let's find somebody else to to work with that's going to be a better partner. And so I called the sales manager up and I'm not wasting any more time selling your products. We had had to have a mutual agreement on terminating the agreement. And they agreed to terminate my agreement and I agreed to it. And so uh, from then on, when I interviewed a prospective manufacturer, first thing I want to learn was, does the products that they supply, something the customers that knew me, trusted me, bought from me needed? Then the next thing I wanted to know was, how well do you know how to work with reps? And I kind of and found, that since I've been here at MANA, the, the reps all do the same thing. The manufacturers fit into three groups. There's the 
the first group that has lots of very positive experience in creating high trust long-term relationships with reps. There are a lot of companies that are new to working with reps, but they want to be like the first group. And so the reps are willing to work with a company like that. And then there's a third group, which is that one that I signed an agreement with. It's going to be my way or the highway, and that doesn't work. And so the only reps that uh, those companies sign up are ones that don't do a very good job. And so then they blame those reps for the whole rep profession. And so, uh, but anyway, what we do here at the association where I work is we provide a lot of education for those new to working with reps so they can make it work well for both of them and, and last a long time. Yeah, for sure. Now, the organizations that have high trust, I mean, you mentioned, you know, getting credit for orders, you know, having been able to have conversations, communication. What other uh, characteristics does those, the third group that you referred to, or the, the, the one with the positive experience with the reps um, have? Well, uh, they've, they've learned how to do it. So they create uh, what we call partners and profits relationships. As you're probably aware, we publish a monthly magazine. And one of my favorite articles, which was written quite some time ago, was written by a manufacturer member. And the title of the article was, Why I Love to Send My Reps Big Commission Checks. You know, because it perf makes perfect sense. The more commission checks you're sending to the rep, it's as a result of the rep having gotten the customers to send a lot of business to the manufacturer who have made profits from their margins. And that's kind of the goal that we're trying to create here, help create is, you know, relationships that work well for both parties and last a long time. And the reps represent multiple complementary but not competitive product lines. So like when I had my rep business, uh, I think at one point I was representing seven companies. And they were not all equal in my eyes. There was one that was so great to work with. Uh, I would spend much more of my time trying to sell products for them than the one that was at the bottom of the list. So we talked to the manufacturer members here about trying to work with the rep in a manner that lets them move up the, what we call the emotional <laughs> favorite ladder so that the, then the reps spend more time trying to sell their products than the other companies they represent. Yeah. Now, I know that with reps, you know, different people, the reps have different relationships and sometimes in different parts of the, the country through existing customers and stuff like that. It's probably not that common, but occasionally there's some, you know, possible situations that arise on that. How do, how do you stop those from happening or how do you manage those situations? Because because you don't, uh, I get the feeling that you don't want to limit reps on the opportunities they can pursue. Yeah, that's a great question. What we recommend when uh, when you uh, are a manufacturer member here at the association, uh, MANA, we provide a directory and the manufacturers can do searches for reps that are selling to the customers for what they've got. And they can download the results into an Excel file. And what we talk about when we're helping manufacturer members with these searches, one of the columns in the Excel file tells how many salespeople work for that independent manufacturer's representative business. 
And then they also, a lot of the reps use what are called sub-reps, which is kind of like a manufacturer's rep that works, you know. So it's an equivalent of having salespeople. And the column next to that gives a description of the size of the territory they cover. And what I see sometimes when I'm helping manufacturers do searches is I'll find a one-person rep company that covers the U.S. and Canada. And I'm thinking, you know, that might be a little bit much of a territory for one person to be. <laughs> so uh, we suggest, you know, check the number of employees. We have some rep companies that have over 100 employees. So if they're covering the U.S., I would be okay with that. And uh, the other thing that comes up uh, has changed over the years is when the rep model first came into existence well over 100 years ago, the reps would get what's called in their agreement, the exclusivity. It would be geographic. When I had my rep business, I sold into the nuclear power generating industry. I represented a company that made solenoid valves, and they had another rep in my exact geographic area that sold solenoid valves into the aerospace industry. Uh. I didn't know any customers in the aerospace industry. If that manufacturer said, Jerry, we want you to sell into the aerospace industry, I might have said, mm, I don't think I want to do that because I want to spend time in front of the people that trust me. And the aerospace rep probably was told them the same thing. And now what we are seeing, this is probably in the last 10, 15 years, what we're seeing is when the reps get to the point to discuss the exclusivity uh, what the reps are doing is they give the manufacturer a list of the accounts where they spend all their time mm -hmm. and say, this is where I spend all my time. And uh, so if you want to get another rep in my territory, as long as they're not selling to these accounts, no problem. And it's important to do that uh, when you're setting up the agreements, because the last thing you want to do is say, yeah. okay, Jerry, uh, we're going to give you California. And uh, then they sign up another rep that focuses in the aerospace industry, but they can't give them California because it's already taken. So you, you, you want to work uh, as, a, as you interview the reps, got to focus on what they focus on. Got it. Structure your agreement. So it's uh, set up that way. That makes sense. You clarify their strengths and where they are, and then yeah. you know, then you know what where they're at, so that yeah. you know there's so that there's opportunities in other areas that are not related to that because none yeah. none of our businesses are big enough to be able to capitalize on everything. So yeah. cooperation happens on the front end. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so I guess the question is coordination. Like I know reps are independent, and yeah. you know they have their own business plans. But you know, at what touch points have you seen it being helpful where the manufacturer sh shares their goals and coordination points, and the reps like how does that relationship work, or is it hey? Mr. Rep, you know how to do your business. You should go off and do it. Uh, how do you see those best relationships working? Well, one of the things that uh, we recommend, we have a program called uh, Nine Steps to Selling Through Independent Reps. And in there, one of them, what really worked well uh, when I had my rep business was uh, get together with the uh, sales manager uh, once a year. And we, we would create basically a kind of a strategic plan for the next 12 months. Yeah. And uh, like any other plan, uh, we'd start looking at our strengths, our weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Yep. 
And then when we were done, we would have a list of things that I was going to do, list of things that the manufacturer was going to do. And usually there was some kind of a completion date on that. And that was fantastic because it really creates a sense that we're partners, we're business partners. And uh, by putting those plans together, too, it gave us a roadmap on how we were going to work for the next year. Yeah, sounds good. Now, when approaching uh, reps, I mean, reps get bombarded by requests all the time because obviously they can be appealing to some manufacturers. I mean, what can a manufacturer do to stand out? Because, you know, you get, uh, you get lost in a pile. Yeah. Well, we recommend when uh, the manufacturers, you know, they do their searches and they're ready to reach out to the rep. We actually provide resources to help with this. There's a, uh, in the second step of our steps to selling through reps, there's a short video, seven minutes, called Get Them to Call You Back. And we put that video together, gosh, maybe six, seven years ago. And the reason we did was we were getting calls from manufacturers members saying, oh, I sent out 27 emails and I didn't get any responses. I asked them to send me the emails. And what I noticed about all of them was they did a beautiful job of describing what they did. But there was nothing in there about how they wanted to make the relationship work well for both of them. And so the video talks about a number of the things, the type of things you can put in there. And, and also then uh, we supply a list of uh, like rep-friendly policies that uh, they can download and include whatever ones they subscribe to in the emails they send out. And when the reps see those, then they're going to be much more interested in representing that company yeah. than if it just, here's, here's the product we make, love and kisses. Yeah, what are what are some of those um, tips? I know that you know if if you want to know all everything to do with it, you go to you know Manus site and yeah. you download it. But what are some of the the high level few points that uh, that can cover? Probably the one that's the uh, the most important would be like uh, the two that to me that are most important is uh, we have long term experience successfully working with reps, and then the second one is you can talk to our other reps. We'll let you talk to our other reps to learn what they think of, of us. That to me is, is probably the most powerful ones because if I can talk to some other other rep companies that that company they say, oh yeah, I've worked with this company for, for 15 years, they're really, really great. Then the next question out of out of my mouth would be, has there been a recent change in management? No, no, same people are still there then I would feel very comfortable signing an agreement with that company. And then there's others like uh, if a company, a manufacturer comes to a brand new territory where they have no existing business, the professional rep companies are going to ask for something called a market development fee. And the basis for that is that it's going to take them a lot longer to get the business going than it would be if there already was an existing level. And so if you put in that uh, we're willing to consider market development fees is another one of the rep-friendly policies, that will be another big one, too. Yeah. And the others yeah. talk about post-termination commissions and, and things like that. But the biggie ones are uh, the experience, successful experience, and that you can talk to our other reps. Yeah, absolutely. So you went out. You got the attention of a rep. You signed a reasonable agreement, and you're, you know, the the company is starting to onboard them. What are good practices for onboarding uh, independent reps? Okay. Well, I mentioned the uh, mutual action planning, and uh, 
Uh, the other thing, uh, you, you know, the, is making sure that uh, depending on the product, that the rep has enough knowledge about the product, because some of these products are a little more technical than others, uh, that they're going to be well trained on how to be able to make the presentations to the to the customer. And then the customer, the rep goes on and starts calling on the customer and starts to get orders. And so that's the goal. And uh, so it's it's kind of, uh, you know, partners and profits, again, is the, is the foundation that makes it work well for both. Yeah, for sure. Now, you've seen the, the rep industry you know, grow and develop over the last 20 years. But what about the future? What are the trends that you see that are going to become more and more important in the future? Uh, that's a great question. And uh, I'm not sure, given... The current status of society and all the changes that are going on, predicting what's going to be happening in the future is a little more challenging than it was 20 <laughs> years ago. But I, I, I tend to be a, a you know real believer that what I learned when uh, I had my rep business about sales, it's about you know helping customers solve their problems, and the tools that I was taught on how to do that. That part is still going to be the foundation that's not going to change. But how you create those relationships, how you get to know the customers, find out what their current reality is and what their desired outcomes are, that's going to be done differently than it was as it is, you know, in my case, as it is is when, uh, you know, with the change in the technology. And who knows what it will be like in 10 years, 15 years. Yeah, for sure. Jerry, is there anything that I did not ask you, but you wanted to share before we close this off? Well, I just wanted to maybe briefly talk about one of the things we get here is a lot of calls from people that say, hey, I want to start a manufacturer's rep business. And my first question is, well, what have you been doing? And the answer that I get is, uh, well, I've been working in sales for a company, but I'm an entrepreneur. I want to be in business for myself. And that is the absolute perfect answer. So what we do here is these startups, the thing that's a real strength that they've got to offer manufacturers is the fact that they do already have relationships with customers. But what we help them with is now because they are entrepreneurs and business owners, we provide a program that teaches them a lot of the business skills they need to use to uh, run a rep business. You know, the uh, we. Over 80% of our members have websites. And uh, our average member has like six outside salespeople working for them. And so they need to learn how to hire people and how to be bosses, you know. And so they also need the marketing skills, you know, usually the companies they work for did the marketing, but, uh, you know, they've got to be able to put together a good website. And then when they are interviewing manufacturers, they're not the only rep that the manufacturers are interviewing. And so the one that does the best job of marketing themselves will get the line. And particularly if it's one of those really great, great manufacturers that everybody wants to work with. So you've got to learn how to market yourself. Uh, You've got to learn how to use technology, uh, CRMs, websites, You've got to learn how to hire and work with people. So there's a lot of business skills involved. And then the last 
uh, step in our program is uh, when they get to be my age and think about retiring, they can sell their businesses. And when you sell a rep business, it's very unique because there are no assets. And so, uh, but it's done. Most people uh, sell their businesses and uh, sometimes they sell it to the son and daughter. And we have members that have been with us longer then we have been an association, which is 75 years. And they've been members when we got started, and they got started wow. in rep businesses before them. Now, obviously, the founder is not still running the business. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's that's very good. Jerry, well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your information. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.